This is the Upstate Impact Podcast, and Jordan and I are here with a very wise person, Jerry Vlassingame. Jerry, we're so happy to have you here with us today. It's good to be here, Elizabeth. I feel like teacher and student, and I'm just so <laughs> glad to be able to sit here and learn and listen. And um, for our audience, I first really got to learn what Jerry's doing when he came to our church and spoke about a racial reconciliation a whole pr- weekend where we learned a lot. And um, so I'm really indebted to you, Jerry, for teaching us and just have enjoyed following your work and and seeing what you're doing in the community um, at Soteria. Mm-hmm. So, man, to start us off, just give us a little background of you, your story, and what brought you to this great work and having such a passion for it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm founder and CEO of Soteria Community Development Corporation. So we work with men who, men and women who are getting out of prison, but we have a housing program, a one-year program for men. And um, we advocate for uh, economic and social justice for those who are impacted by the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. And people always ask me who don't know my story, they'll say, well, why do you work with people who are getting out of prison? And I say, well, that's a good segue into my story. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. So, um, so I was I'm born and raised right here in Greenville, South Carolina, and awesome. um, my first big thing that I remember at five years old was my murder, my mother being murdered uh, mm. right there in front of me in the next room. My brother and I were playing. She was arguing with a boyfriend and um, we heard two shots mm. and uh, we all ran out of the house and the next day I found out that my mother was, was murdered by her boyfriend. And the guy who, who murdered uh, my mother also shot my grandfather in the eye oh and gosh. he died two years later. So my grandmother took us, uh, us meaning me and my four siblings. Uh, I was the youngest of five. I had just, uh, I was about to turn six years old. It was uh, one month before my six-year-old birthday. Wow. And so the second biggest thing was I didn't get to have a six-year-old birthday party that my mother was planning for. Mm. So all this stuff happened. You know, we go to school. You know, we move across town and start going to school. Here I am damaged mm-hmm. with, um, you know, PTSD and didn't even realize, and, you know, it. And, you know, but my teachers loved me. And um, I had some great teachers growing up. You know, I had a great grandmother, you know, had a great family life. But we were poor, living in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Uh, projects, uh, you know, with the food stamps, you know, the WIC program and all, the whole nine yards, I, I get it. And, um, but my grandmother did the best she could. And I ended up, you know, going to school, doing really good in school. School was my escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love I to read and write. Uh, when I got into seventh grade, I took up woodworking. And uh, really took a heart and lo- loving to work working. By the time I get to high school, my industrial arts teacher uh, taught me to go to college. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a two-year scholarship, uh, Greenville Tech and the Architecture Engineering Program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where my design and woodworking still plays now. It's kind of one of my hobbies. Love it. Um, so, but my second year in, in college, I started selling drugs and make extra money after school. Mm-hmm. It was during the 80s, late 80s. And um, I ended up getting arrested. First time I got 15 years, suspended to nine months and five years probation. Sounds like a lot, but I only did four months in prison, but I had five years probation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you get arrested in South Carolina and, you know, you get out, you know, you got, you know, you can't get a job because of a criminal conviction. So I tried to go back to school and it just wasn't working, got arrested again. And the second time I received a 20 year prison sentence. Mm-hmm. And so this time I realized that I probably wasn't going to get out for a while. And my sister, who was a devout Christian at the time, she had, she had left home and, you know, gotten saved. And she would try to preach to me, and I didn't want to hear it. But I'm in prison now, facing 20 years, and I'm like, God, are you there? Yes. If you are real, <laughs> come see me. <laughs> oh, man. And so everybody was like, oh, it's jailhouse religion, Jerry. But my sister, who prayed for me, 
was very instrumental in leading me to the Lord. She didn't actually pray for me. I prayed with a Methodist pastor mm -hmm. uh, through a bean hole, the little tray slot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior in the Greenwood County Detention Center, April 14th, 1994. Amen. That's awesome. <laughs> That's wow. my second birthday. And um, so three and a half years I spent in prison. So I went on to prison. But for three and a half years, every day I had one confession. I will not be here long. Mm. And not only did I say I wasn't going to be there long, I did things. I prayed every day. I studied. I read my Bible. I would spend five, six, seven, eight hours sometimes praying and studying the Bible. It was like a seminary for me. Wow. Uh, one of the things that impacted me the most in prison was my journaling. I would get up every morning. I would read scripture and I would journal. I would pray for people. I would memorize scripture. I read I read the New Testament three times in the county jail. Oh, man. That really. was seminary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and um, and so I um, started taking Bible classes from Columbia International University while I was there. Some people from Clemson United Methodist Church paid my way through school. Oh, and, awesome. um, and so um, I also met my wife while I was in prison who married me a year before I was released. Everybody thought she was crazy. They knew wow. I was crazy. Wow. But, <laughs> and so, but she saw the vision. I had written down the vision. Yeah. So during the whole time I was there, I had written down the vision. She, she saw it. And we were married in 1998, um, February 28th, 1998. And I was released March 26th, 1999 on 11 years parole. Wow. So I was a two-time, it was my second time being in prison. And um, I, I got made parole the first time, had a 20-year prison sentence, and only did three and a half years on the sentence. Wow. And so I believe in miracles. Yes. I live like Jesus lived. I believe the Bible. And I am a Jesus freak. Uh, <laughs> you know, people think I'm crazy, but I believe what the Bible says. And so I look at everything that I'm doing now, and I look back to the time in prison that I studied, I prayed, I believed God, and I am on that trajectory right now mm -hmm. of serving God and telling others about his wonders. Mm -hmm. So that's my story, man. and I'm sticking to it. Oh, man. Okay, so you got to <laughs> tell me a little bit about what church experience was like in prison, because I know we've touched on this a little bit before, and I really think it should be said. Oh, wow. So church in prison is what probably heaven is going to be like that for those who never worship with black, white, Hispanic, uh, all denominations, just everybody coming in, loving each other, you know, because we can't go anywhere. We didn't, you know, we only had one church, right. <laughs> you know, so you can't say, I'm going to wait and go to this service. Which some people tried to do that, but I went to every service and I tell people everything that was smoking, I did it. You know, I even went to the Jehovah Witness Bible studies until I realized. <laughs> I was like, nah, but you know, I did everything, you know, but I started eating the meat and spitting the bones out. But church is wonderful in prison. It was just worship. You know, different, you know, backgrounds come in, you know, different denominations. Every ethnic group came in and everybody loved us. And so when I got out of prison, I was shocked mm. because I wasn't raised in church. I didn't attend church before prison. Mm. So I thought every prison was multicultural and multiracial. Yeah. And when I, I you know, every, every church. And so when I got out of prison, I was like, oh, my God. We got all black church and all white church and these denominations don't work together like they work together in prison. Mm. And so it was a it, it was a shocker for me. And it's a shocker for a lot of people who are getting out. And I just want to tell people that the prison church, there is a revival going on in prisons right now. Mm. And I think what is happening when people get out, they see what's going on and it it it, it just messes up their faith, some people. I'm like, man, you were doing so good while you were in. So mm. we need to understand that God is doing a great work in prisons, in the, in the prison church. 
And, you know, some of us need to go and visit the prison church to see what a real church is like. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's a lot of parts of your story that are very memorable. But can I just tell you, and this is probably not your first time hearing this, I'm alarmed at the the severity of the sentences that you received for your, particularly for your first offense. Is that... Is that something that was common back then, or do you feel like you were unfairly targeted? And is that something that has has changed recently, or still needs to change? Well, it still needs to change. And right when I was sentenced, uh, you know, in 1994 is when the crime bill came out. Like when Clinton was in office, you know, everybody mm-hmm. called the Clinton crime bill because right. he was the president. You know, right. we always blame the president, you know, for everything. But I think it's our whole government system. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we can't just break, blame the president because Congress voted. Right. <laughs> right. You know, but that was when you know the mandatory minimums came out. Right. And, you know, truth in sentencing. And so uh, people were getting 30-year sentences for first offense, one crack. One one crack rock, 30 years and 20 years. And uh, disproportionately, uh, amount of African-Americans, black and brown people were going to prison at that time. Right. And there are a lot of people still in from the time. You know, I remember when I went in, I was trying to figure out where everybody was, and they were all in prison. Mm. You know, I saw guys I hadn't seen since I was a kid. And so I, you know, so I realized that, you know, we have some work to do when it comes to criminal justice reform, Mm -hmm. a lot of work, you know, what, what could I have learned in the, in the first year or the 20th year? You know, I get 20 years. I'm like, you know, I can learn everything in three years or five years after 20 years, you're just becoming a better criminal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you That's know, a very good point, right yeah. there. Yeah, it it doesn't take long, you know. To when, learn I spank, your lesson. when I spank mm-hmm. my kids or, or put them in timeout or do whatever I do, however, I, you know, they learn and I talk with them. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite statements is, you know, when we punish somebody without a relationship, we create rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of rebellious people in prison yep. because they're getting punished mm-hmm. by a system that don't care about them. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'd, I'd love for you to, to even address some of that now as far as what are, what are some of the things that you are actively working towards right now to change some of those systemic problems that not only have you suffered from, but you've obviously worked with a lot of, of folks who have. Yeah, so it, it starts at home. It starts in our neighborhood. You know, first of all, I want to teach my kids, my family first, and then the people in our neighborhoods. You know, our organization, we work with guys when they come out, financial literacy, we make sure people understand money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there are probably 65 to 70% of people are in prison for some type of trans- money, trans- financial transaction. Sure. So if we can understand money and know, understand budgeting, we can stay out of prison, get a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, life skills, a lot of people just don't have the life skills. Uh, fatherlessness, you know, when I... Talk about what's going on, especially in our inner city neighborhoods. It's fatherlessness. You know, yeah. we don't talk about it, but there are a disproportionate number of black men and black and brown men who are in prison. Um, and then the system rewards the mothers for not having exactly a husband, yeah. or, or you know, they give them food steps and welfare and say you can't have a man to live with you. If if the man comes back, we're gonna cut your welfare and food stamps off, mm. which is crazy. And, and and you know, mentoring. You know, we believe that that's a big part. Having another. You know, having a man to mentor you and disciple you. Right. Uh, we're working with advocacy. We think, you know, doing reform to our criminal justice system and um, starting businesses. We are mm-hmm. a big proponent of social enterprise, um, you know, for the nonprofit sector and for people living in low-income neighborhoods. 
Uh, that's what community economic development is. It's taking people who are living in low-income neighborhoods mm -hmm. and giving them the power to become owners, business mm -hmm. owners and homeowners. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So empowering. Yeah. That's awesome. What was it like for you when you got out of prison? Oh. Trying to fit back into society, figure out where you belong, and how to succeed at that point. Well, you know, when I was in school, I read the Scarlet Letter, and I understood it. Mm -hmm. But until you live through it, you, don't, you have no idea what Hester Prynne went through. Yeah. When you when you think everybody's looking at you, even going in a church, and when a few people know you've been previously incarcerated, you think everybody knows, and people look at you. I probably filled out a hundred applications, uh, just trying to find a job. And when you put on mm. there, I've been, you know, have you ever been convicted of a felony? You check yes, they never call you back. Wow, that's right. You know, hundred uh, applications. <laughs> yes, that's determination. Yeah, you know, you just have to continue to put applications yeah. in. You know, just just for the right job, it's just hard to get a, a great job. And people judge you for what you did. You know, the worst thing you did. If what if we all get judged for the worst thing you know we did in our past? Right. And you know, I had been forgiven. Um, I had repented for my mistakes. I was living right, but nobody could could see my heart then. I was trying. Right. Right. Um, you, you know, I thank God for my loving wife, you know, who had a job and had a place for me to live. You know, when I got out, a lot of people don't have that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, getting dropped off at work and having to bomb a ride home. You know, back then, you know, in, in, in 99 and 2000, our uh, public transportation system wasn't good. Then it's not good now here in Greenville. <laughs> You know, so having to depend on rides and depend on people, not having having proper clothing, mm -hmm. you know, which is so important to us. And I'm I love nice clothes. And I remember I was at church. Never it's a funny story. <laughs> I was I, I anybody who know me know I love to dress nice and look nice now because I got money to do it. And so I was in church one day, and a guy came up to me. He said, "Man, I remember when you first got out." He said, "You only had two pair of pants, a a, a pair of khaki pants and a pair of blue pants." He said, you used to alternate those pants to church every Sunday. And I'm like, you don't think about that. And he gave me a big hug and he said, you have came a long way. Thank God for you. You're doing so good now. But that was my life. You know, only having two pair of pants and thinking I'm doing something that's wearing different shirts and two pair of pants every Sunday. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that was my life back then. And I washed them. They were clean. And I did what I had to do in the early days. And, you know, there's no substitution for hard work and dedication. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was my early, you know, I had a had a plan. It was, you know, I, I was determined. A lot of people aren't, aren't determined, and it's really hard for people who are getting out of prison who don't have a support system. And that's why we're here at Soteria, our organization, because I know how hard it is for people, excuse me, to get the thing that, that they need, you know, when they first get out of prison, mm -hmm. you know. You know, you know without getting, it's hard to find a job and things like that. You know, oh, yeah. food, you know. Yeah. So you mentioned... Um, Obviously, from what you from what happened in your childhood and the traumatic things that you went through, you said you you felt like you had PTSD and you just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're, that's not a unique thing to you. That's probably something that is affecting a lot of folks that are in the prison system and that are coming out. Um, what what kind of stuff do you do you see when it comes to just some of the mental struggles that some of those folks are coming are going through, and and how do you maybe help equip? them along those lines to be able to try to overcome or confront some of those things. Yeah. So, you know, up until about five years ago, I just kind of prayed my way through all of that. You know, I just, God would come in. I was like, we're going to pray, we're going to pray, which I, I I believe that Jesus is real. Mm. But some people have to, you know, have therapy and medication mm -hmm. and things like that. And so we see guys come in all the time, schizophrenic, paranoid, uh, you know, just all kinds of mental illnesses that now I'm like, oh, we could have did something back then. Mm -hmm. Um when you when you get sentenced in in a court of law, probably you'll get PTSD, right? Oh, you know? Sure, I believe it. You know, it, 
if you've never done anything and you go to prison and stay for a year, you're going to develop some type of mental illness, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, something. Mm -hmm. So, so many people are getting released and we're not helping them. Mm -hmm. And so right now, you know, at any given time, we can have five or six people in our organization that we're sending to mental health counseling. Wonderful though. Yeah, you know, and so we're really trying. Uh, we have a um, a clinician on staff now, an intern who's working with guys in our program, who's That's setting fantastic. up a program, yeah. a plan for them, interviewing all of them, trying to figure out what's wrong with them, uh, how can we get them help. Um, and so it's very important because I wish somebody would have helped me. I kind of mm. self-medicated myself, mm. you know, just just to get through it. I thank God that I did. Mm -hmm. But everybody's not resilient. Mm -hmm. And so I thank God that I was resilient, but a lot of people are not. And I, you know, there are some people I couldn't help because I didn't have, you know, the tools. But we're, we're getting the tools now to help, you know. I think I think my last stat was like 72% of all people in prison have undiagnosed or diagnosed some type of mental illness. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. That, that would be about what I would expect. Yeah. Wow. So. That's a really key component. I'm so glad that you're covering that well. Yeah. What else goes in the organization? Give us a little rundown. Oh, what wow. Soteria is about. Yeah, so I Some was, people have oh, not heard of it. You we, know? we had a graduation um, Sunday, and I was telling people that I don't even know if I could graduate the program. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a rigorous, it's rigorous. You know, um, and we want it to be because we think hard work is, you know, it pays off. So we try to get guys to come into our program. It's a referral program. You have to be referred by a chaplain, a social worker, caseworker, volunteer. Okay. Send an application. And in the application, there is a one-page essay on your short-term and long-term goal. So you have to write an essay. And we, you know, we don't look at grammar and spelling and all that. We just want to see if you have right. a plan. Right. So from that, if you get accepted, we take your essay and we do a one-year project plan. Because the program is six months to one year. Mm. Most guys stay for a year. And so we'll do a project plan so that we know where we're sending you and the goals that you have while you're in the program. So the guys have something to do every day. They get up in the morning, they do their devotion, they pray, and they have to journal. Mm. That's part of the program. There's good therapy yep. right there. They have to journal. That's part of the program. And, and every two weeks we take the journals up mm. and we read them and give them back to them. Um, they have to take financial literacy class every Saturday, mm -hmm. and they have to have a spending plan and operate on a budget. So when they get a job, they have to have a budget, and they show us the budget. They have to turn their paycheck stubs in so that it matches up with their budget so we can hold them accountable. Good. We have health and wellness class. Mm -hmm. um, we, we have a chiropractor that comes in and works with our guys. We have a yoga instructor Good. for the health and wellness. We have a couple Bible studies uh, during the week. Uh, our program manager, uh, I'm a published author so I have a book called Reclaim and so our program manager just sent all the guys through our Reclaim class. They all read mm -hmm. my book and um, kind of heard the story and you know how they got there and how, you know how I'm doing what I'm doing so that's, that was, that's been good. Have a mentoring program. Everybody in the program is um, given a mentor to mentor them the duration of the program mm -hmm. and we require two to three hours of FaceTime, Zoom, text messaging, whatever, just to make sure that the mentors are doing their job. Um, so the guys eat together. Mm -hmm. uh, they do uh, activities together. And so it's something going on every day, as you see. They stay busy. Mm -hmm. and they, they, they probably sleep hard every night. <laughs> but, yeah. And so I know you've got a shop, mm -hmm. but there's also other jobs that you're connecting people to yes. as well. And so we have a social enterprise called Soteria at Work. And okay. our tagline is Reclaiming Wood and Reclaiming Lives. Man. Because we're taking old buildings, old structures, and we're and we're taking the wood that would be otherwise in the landfill, and we're reclaiming it, sanding it, 
planning it, and we're building beautiful reclaimed wood tables, barn doors, home decor. And it's a job training program where the men are learning woodworking skills. And a lot of them have, have never had a job. So some of them don't understand woodworking, but they're, they're working. They're learning how to punch a clock. Mm-hmm. They're learning how to show up on time. They're learning how to dress. Mm-hmm. They're learning how to interview. Filling the application out. So it's a great program, and most men who come in, they actually love it. And, you know, we, we, we have one of our, our, our lead guys is a graduate of our program. He's, mm-hmm. he's a lead man. And we have four other interns, which we don't call participants or um, program guys. We call them interns. So mm-hmm. we do a one-year internship. So, so we have four guys working for us full-time on staff in the program. So we have job training there. And then the, those who don't work in our job training program, they work outside in the community. Okay. And we find job placement for everybody in our program. Do you have certain organizations that you're partnered with, or is it more on a case-by-case well, basis? It's, How does that work? It's case-by-case. Case. You know, over time, it changes, ebbs and flows. But, you know, we have a couple of go-to companies that we can send people to, and we're always getting people, you know, asking, hey, you know, can, you, can I get a guy? Or we have, we have employment here. Yeah. So And so we're always looking for companies that's willing to hire people previously incarcerated. Okay. Yeah. That's a beautiful partnership. Well, with you being the you know the person that is behind a lot of this, walk us through a little bit. Like, what's what's your day to day like? Because you're obviously not doing all of these things on a day to day basis. So, what are you doing on a day to day basis? So, I have eleven people that work for me right now, including full time and part time. Have a COO. I have a part time accountant. I have an admin assistant, executive assistant, program manager. Um, maintenance supervisor, then the rest of the guys are working in the wood shop. We also have a development manager who does grant writing and fundraising. Mm-hmm. So we so we have grown, came a long way when, since I was. I have done everything. I right. you have. At some point you <laughs> had to. You know, but I'm, I'm that guy. I'm hands-on. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be hands-off. I work in the wood shop some days. It's I started it. It was my dream, my yeah. brainchild. So I work in, in there some days. Um, I'm working with the accountant some days. I'm working with marketing some days. I'm working with sales some days. I'm flying around the country speaking. Uh, not now since COVID. Uh, <laughs> and um, even around the world, I've been in South Africa twice, uh, mm-hmm. training uh, some pastors over there to do prison ministry and reentry. Mm-hmm. So we're setting up something there in South Africa. Um, I'm on a couple boards, and so I'm very active in the in the community. Yeah. Uh, very active uh, in the political process, doing av- uh, doing. Uh, advocating for criminal justice reform in D.C. and at the State House in Columbia. Mm. So uh, I'm always doing something. Mm-hmm. I love staying busy. Um, I, I can't just sit around. Um, and so that's my day. You know, some days I'm in the office working with, with the staffs, traveling, or I'm in the wood shop. So I'm always around doing something. But mm. I, I love Greenville. I love this town. This is a great town. Got great people. Mm-hmm. Very benevolent town. So I'm, I'm just thankful. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. So when you're traveling, what are people asking you to come and do? Very speak, train, because I I I'm, I'm an expert in reentry. Yes, uh, you know, 21 so years experience. Looking so people, at what you did and they, saying, come show us know. how. They want to know how to do it. Yeah. Um, and I'm also, I also I pastor for seven years in my own church and senior pastor. Then I worked on staff at a major church as ten years mm-hmm. um, as on staff pastor. So I go and do speaking, preaching, mm-hmm. um, um, guest speaker at churches a lot. 
Um, 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 you know, when it comes to advocating, I go and advocate in other places as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so just motivational speaker, I speak at colleges, I speak at high schools, elementary schools. I'm nice. very active in my kids' school and PTA president. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Jerry, how do you have the energy? I just love, I love people. Yeah. And, and um, so it keeps me moving. I love children because they're our future. So and so I want to make sure I share my story with the children so that they can learn from my mistakes. I think I've got a motivational speaking opportunity for you on Saturday when it's time for my kids to do their chores. I think it would be great for you to be able to, uh, to come in and interject some. I appreciate that. I would appreciate that very much. Um, but on a more serious note, um, obviously there's, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I just want to get your thoughts on something that you said a second ago, which was um, you said that a lot of this, a lot of the reform that needs to happen does need to start in the home. And you talked about the issues with fatherlessness. And I do find that d the discussion around what needs to happen on a societal level can often become polarizing of folks that say, well, the home is the issue, and other people say that the system is the issue. And certainly you have, you have experience with, with both of those issues. Mm -hmm. And so how do, we, how do we marry those two things to ultimately try to move forward? I just want to hear your thoughts on that. You are getting ready to get me rich when I solve this problem. Because everybody's going to Good. All right, everybody. Buckle up. Here, here he goes. Oh, that's a tough one. But from my experience, because I believe life experiences are probably the best teachers for me. I just, because my life has taught me so much. And I try to live my life in that way, you know, with my, my home. I was raised without a father or a mother. My grandfather passed away, so I didn't have any male influence in my life. My grandmother only, she did the best she could do, but she's a woman. Women can only do so much. A woman can't teach a little boy how to be a man. Mm -hmm. So true. And, yeah. and, and so it starts... It starts in the home, and I'll say this, and then I'll segue into the other part because they meet up. Mm -hmm. If if fathers were in the home, who had fathers? The problem is, see, I'm learning. God is teaching me how to be a father because I didn't have. I had. I learned how to be a father from the Bible. Right. And so I'm, I'm gonna go a step further too. Is that Christian homes? And you know, regardless of people say, "Oh, Jerry, religion." I'm gonna say it because I would not be here mm -hmm. if it were not for the power of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so we have to be able to have these Christian principles in the homes. And if fathers would teach their sons and daughters Christian principles, I think we will be better off. Mm -hmm. Now, when we say that, now you got the government system. So even if those people were taught, mm -hmm. our government could straighten out as well. Mm -hmm. you, you know, <laughs> seriously, if, you know, people run on a ticket, God and country. <laughs> okay? Yeah. But we enslaved a whole group of people, and we said God and country back then. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really, when we say God and country, we need to really mean God first. Mm -hmm. And we need to go by what the Bible says. And so I know what happened to me when I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. Mm -hmm. My heart changed. Mm -hmm. And I was taught to love people, regardless of where they're from, what color they are, mm -hmm. if they're male or female. I was taught to love people. And so let's love all people and do right by people. And so I think, you know, when we start looking at, you know, power and government, that's the problem. You know, because the Bible talks about the, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the mm -hmm. love. Money is not evil, but it's the love of money. Mm -hmm. And when you get into politics and power, money is involved. That's just my opinion. That's what's happening to our country. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. You know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories of what things are going on. But when you look at it, it's all about money and power. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I say this all the time. I can't be bought and I'm not for sale. Mm -hmm. You know, regardless. 
you know, Jesus saved my soul. Jesus saved my heart, and it wasn't with money. And so I believe, you know, that's the problem with our country. Um, you know, even back years ago, it was money and power. And so when we get to the place to where we love God and love him well, I think our country will change. And so I want to be that fire starter. Yeah. I want to be the one that people look at my life and they say, wow, I want to, I want what Jerry got. Yeah. Mm. Well, and so beautiful because you didn't have the things that really are essential. And yet having that story of overcoming out of that yeah. and then being able to raise up a, a generation that has a different story. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it looks different. You know, people, you know, I'm not your typical CEO. I didn't go through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have privilege. I didn't have money. I didn't have the education. So I look different from every successful person. So the way I do it, people say, oh, it can't be right. Oh, that's just Jerry. <laughs> it can't. Oh, he's not doing it right. But 21 years. It's working. It's working. <laughs> and so you need to you need to recognize. Right? <laughs> so um, this may just be ignorance, but I'm going to ask this question anyway on the criminal justice reform side. And maybe this is part of some of the reform you want to see. Why is it that you you said you you still know people that are serving really long sentences for things that um, either have been made legal now or the sentence is not nearly as long? Why is it that those people are expected to still carry out that original sentence rather than their sentences being commuted or their time served being credited towards what would be punished now? Or why why is the system still that way? Oh wow! Well, because there's no advocacy on the level that should. That it should be. Okay. You, you know, even even with this last federal bill that passed, it was more for people who did white collar crimes right. than people low level drug mm-hmm. dealers or people in the inner city. If you really look at that bill, mm-hmm. it's really for white collar crimes. Mm-hmm. People in high places did it so they can get their buddies out. You know, oh, man. but we don't want to say that. I'll say it because I just you, say you know, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gotta say it. You know, and 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 so people who are poor don't have money, right. don't have education. They don't know they can't afford attorneys. Right. And if you can afford an attorney, these attorneys can get in and work for you. But when you can't, you know, there are pro bono lawyers out there, but they can't do but so much pro bono work, you know. Right. And so that's why there are so many people in. And that's why our, our justice system is is the way it is. You know, a lot of money is being made, you know, in, in, in prisons. A lot mm. of, you know, you got free labor. Right. Um, and, and so I think we need to start looking at that. Um, you know, we spend so much money in our prison system. In South Carolina, we spend a half a billion dollars a year. Mm. You know, half a billion dollars a year. You know, we spend, I don't know, about $20,000 per person. So, right. so just a lot of finances that, that goes into it. So we need change. And if the average citizen is educated on what's going on, we can speak. And speak to our representatives and hold our representatives accountable to what they're doing in Columbia and in mm. D.C. Good. Mm. How would you recommend the average citizen become educated if they're not already educated? Are there some resources yeah, you would point them towards? Most definitely, you know, read. You know, the, the internet is fuller, full of things. You, you know, I, Google is my best friend. <laughs> you know, I'll Google something in a minute. Um, attend city council meetings. Okay. Attend county council meetings. Attend school board meetings. Know what district you're in. Know who your your county council rep is, your city council rep. Know who your house rep, your senate rep. Know these people. Call them up, write them, send them an email, and say, "Hey, I'm, I'm John Doe. I just want you. I just want you to know who I am, and these are the issues I'm interested in." Mm. The average citizen doesn't do that. No, they don't. They just vote for somebody or don't vote at all, and then we yeah. complain when something is going wrong. Our system is set up. I believe if we use the system the way it was designed, we could change a lot. But we're not using the system. The politicians use the system, but the average citizen don't use the system because we don't vote. 
Right. Mm. Okay, um, tell, I know we don't have much more time. Tell no. us about other people getting involved. So obviously you're doing an amazing thing right there where you are. How can other people lend their energy and resources to partner and yeah. learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So the first thing is go to our website, uh, you know, www.soteriacdc.org. Our website has a lot of information. But one of the things that I always tell people first, mentors, discipleship. Yes. I would rather have a human body than money. Mm. Good. If you can get somebody to change a life, that person can go out and duplicate. Right. The only reason I'm sitting here today is because people wrote me and they pen pal me and they discipled me while I was in prison. Mm. I've touched over five over five thousand men and women in the last twenty one years that went through our program. When when four or five people did that to me, mm. so it's important that we pour into people's lives. And so mentoring is a big part of our organization. We want to pay up every man in our program with the mentor. We have a pen pal program where you can write somebody who's in prison to encourage them. Um, and we also have other opportunities, volunteer opportunities, uh, giving of food, clothes for the men and women who are getting out of prison. You know, when people get out of prison, some of them have been in prison five, six, seven, ten 10 years, and they don't have clothes. Mm -hmm. And so going on that interview, that first interview, uh, you know, making sure somebody has a first day meal or a first day, you know, survival kit, toothpaste, you know, yeah. underwear, socks, things like that. Small things that we don't think about. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, of course, we are running an organization so people can get on a monthly giving, you know, you know, with us and things like that. And, and, and so we don't turn that away. We don't turn money away. But I'm not chasing money. I'm chasing God. I'm chasing vision. Mm -hmm. And things follow that. And so, um, you know, volunteers come to answer the phone and things like that is always good mm -hmm. uh, for us. So those are the, the, the high things. You know, we, we're looking for men to mentor men in our wood shop. So if there's anybody who has a uh, has wood shop or tools or anything like that that they want to donate or, or um, you know, help us out with, mm -hmm. buy some furniture from us. Yeah. Oh, you know, go to our website and buy some, you know, buy, some, buy a farm table or a barn door or home decor. You know, we have an Instagram Facebook, um, what else we have? Uh, we have all of it, Pinterest. Yeah. And, and, and then we have our own website, satiriatwork.com, where, where you can go and order some furniture from us. So those are just a few ways uh, that people can get involved and uh, partner with us and, and help us. And we also do low-income. We have 14 low-income rentals that we own as well. And so we have 14 families that we're responsible for. Mm -hmm. During COVID, we've been helping our renters by giving them food, meals every other week. Oh, some of them you know, have lost their jobs or gotten yeah. jobs cut back. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I know you mentioned you're a published author. Um, so if you could mention the name of your book again if people want to find it, and then just other ways people could get in contact with you directly. Yes. Yeah, so um, my book is called Reclaimed, and you can purchase Reclaimed from my website at jerryblastinggame.com. Okay. Yeah. And... Um, uh, my email too. There, there is a you know Jerry Blessing Game at Gmail. If, you know if you would like to reach out to me, and also our phone number at the office is eight six four two seven two zero six eight one to call the office for any uh, services. We um, help with expungements. Uh, like I said earlier, I chair the Reentry Coalition, so we have a little money to help people with with their expungements, so you can help them get through the application mm. and pardon applications as well. Okay. We have a partnership with Root and Rebound, who's a law firm. And, um, you, you know, one of our attorneys, Kate Weaver Patterson, is there to help with some of the legal stuff. I don't have to be the resident lawyer anymore. We have a, a paid one <laughs> who's educated. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah. That's really wow. good. Reclaiming wood, reclaiming lives. Yes. Yeah. I love that yeah. so much. I just yeah. keep thinking, Thank what you. a beautiful way of mixing even that, you know, experience you had in your youth mm -hmm. with that bigger vision yeah. later on. And then, man, I think I need one of those 
pieces in my house. Wouldn't that be a beautiful oh my gosh, reminder yeah. mm-hmm. um, right there all the time? That's right. Well, Jerry, uh, I think I can speak for Elizabeth and say it's been an honor to have you. I've learned a ton. This is my first interaction with you. I'm very thankful Elizabeth invited you to join us. And I knew you'd love this conversation. Oh, yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's a very easy mission to get behind, but honestly, you are a wealth of information, too. Like, I felt like this time flew by so fast, and I only got to scratch the surface. So I'm excited to reach out and chat with you some more. Yeah. As well. well, I'm glad to come back. Y'all invite me back for another talk. That's right. <laughs> we can jump on another to. topic yeah. at any time. Can I ask you a couple a couple little random questions sure. before yeah. we go? It's just fun to make yeah. those connections with people. Okay. Favorite place you've traveled? Favorite place I've traveled? This is probably going to be odd, but probably Monrovia, Liberia. I didn't... It was, yeah. Okay. I love the people there. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. How about a favorite meal? My favorite meal is a ribeye steak, baked potato, uh-huh. and asparagus. Okay. Oh, good one. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. Um, tell me about a book, a must-read book that you feel like other people would really benefit from. Uh, probably The New Jim Crow by good. Michelle Alexander. Okay. That's one of, that's one you know, you know, and lately that I've been. I read it a few years ago, but I keep referring back to it because it opened up my eyes to a lot of things as well. And I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes. Okay. Yeah. I need to read that. One. And also, just mercy. So I got two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. By that's Brian very Stevenson. good. Yeah. Very good. Yes, I did too. Okay. <laughs> that's great. You, you got to give us a bunch. Okay. Right. Anything that you're afraid of? Uh, failing. Yeah. Oh, man, I feel you. I feel you on that. What do you do for rest and relaxation? This is the last one. Because you work very hard. I need to know if you got some rest in there. I love the hike. Okay. I love the woods. I talk about that in my book, but I just, I love the hike. I love being outside. Good. Yeah. Very restorative. Yeah. Yeah. Good for the soul. Love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jerry. We very much appreciate your time. Yes. Thank you all. Yeah.